Great song. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, everybody. If you're a dad, happy Father's Day. If you're not a dad, treat fathers nice today. They like it when you treat them nice. I got a really nice, really nice note from my daughter, Alexandra. I read right before the first hour. It made me cry. It's a keeper. And I got the letter my dad wrote, wrote me in 1995 that I had last week. So, I'm, And I got my Bible, so we're all good. Um, now, some of you have your dad with you today, and you're... You might be really happy about that. Maybe you're mad at him. I don't know. Um, others of you, though, you know, this might be first Father's Day without your dad. Maybe he passed on just this year. So there's a wide range of emotions when you get to Father's Day. You know, fathers are, are great mentors. And we're going to talk about mentoring today. So it's, um, it's a good thing that, uh, that I'm doing this on Father's Day. Over the past 10 weeks, we've been in this series about living in the last days and we've been anchored really in, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 but today we're in 2nd Timothy so if you want to find that in your Bible go ahead we're going to stand in a few minutes to read God's word but go ahead and find that um, we've been talking about how do you live fruitfully as you as you long for Christ's return as you love Jesus how do you live for his glory and that's what we've been looking at over and over again We've been talking about waiting for Jesus and working until he returns. And, and one of the things we need to do in that, in that interim period is, is find a mentor and be a mentor. Hence the title, mentor. Find one, be one. You know, you could leave now if you wanted, but you shouldn't. Because that's the point, okay? That's it. That's what, that's what I want you to do. I want, God wants you to do this. If you're a Christian... Find a mentor and be a mentor. It's really, it's really as simple as that. And, and it's what God calls every one of his children to be and do. Why do I say that? Because God uses Christians to grow Christians. You think about Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You think about Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God uses one life in another life to do his work. If you're married, your spouse is God's best tool to form you in, into the image of Christ if you're a Christian. God wants his people engaged in other people's growth in Christ. Now, you might notice, if you know me, that I have a sunburn today. And the reason why is because I didn't put on enough sunscreen yesterday when I was out in the sun for a long time. It's kind of an obvious point, don't you think? Mentoring is like sunblock. It, it protects you from the damaging effects of sin. You need a mentor in your life that will point you to Christ over and over again now i've had some really good mentors in my life i am very very thankful that god has given me some amazing mentors in my life now they have taught me what it means to follow christ they have taught me they have corrected me they have sometimes painfully showed me what does it mean to follow christ in my life now i've had the privilege to to be a mentor to people and mentoring people and i will tell you 
I do that today precisely because other people have invested in my life. I'm passing on the favor. Today we're going to see what God intends for his church as we continue in our Living in the Last Days series. This is part of that series. But I want you to stand with me. We're going to read 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to have a public reading of Scripture in a bigger way today. Okay? Not like when we did bring the book and read all the way through Matthew in one sitting, right? 28 chapters in a row. But we're going to read a big chunk today. Okay, 2 Timothy is a uh, beautiful, beautiful, personal letter from Paul to Timothy. Verse 1, chapter 3. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Let's pray. Lord God, I acknowledge that that was the only perfect part of this sermon. Because your word is perfect. It is strong. Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you would have your way with us, that your glory would be revealed to us, that your greatness and your goodness would be on display, and that, Lord, we would, would bask in your grace as we consider your goodness. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So I've already told you what I want you to see today. Some of you left, I see. Did it while I was praying, thank you. What I want you to see today is that every Christian needs to have a mentor and be a mentor. This is the way that God has designed His church to work. Now some people, in certain public settings, go shirtless and shoeless. And there are restaurants and stores that will not let you in if you do that. But I think it is a tragedy in the, in the modern day church that some Christians are content to go mentorless. They think it's an option. I'm a, one of many on a smorgasbord of Christian growth and maybe some point in my life I'll get a mentor. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We need Christ-like mentors like we need to breathe. Like we need to drink water. It is essential for your life in Christ that you have someone in your life that is pointing you to Jesus Christ on a personal level and on an ongoing basis. The health and multiplication of Christ's blood-bought bride and the spirit-indwelled church depends on believers doing what Christians do. How many times have you heard me say that? We should do what Christians are supposed to do. One of the things Christians are supposed to do is to have mentors and be mentors. Now, historically, mentoring has been a primary vehicle of growth. One writer said, before seminaries had endowments, a young man would attach himself to a country pastor and read the man's books and follow him on his parish visiting circuit. And it was not considered a substandard education but really real discipling of the younger in faith by one older. What's a mentor? It's just a word we use that, that uh, comes from different backgrounds, but um, it's another way really of saying of tutor or guide or teacher or director or wise helper or coach or confidant or discipler. For the sake of the usage of our term as believers in a biblical context, let me say this. A mentor is someone who points new, younger, and older Christians to Christ on a personal level. 
By the way, the mentor can be younger. Paul, when he was talking to Timothy, said, look, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in your speech, in your conduct, in your faith, in your love, in your purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Of all ages, show yourself an example to them that they would follow. What's a mentor? Basically what Paul was to Timothy and what he is being to him in 2 Timothy. I love 2 Timothy. It might be among your favorite Bible, Bible books, Bible letters, but I'll tell you, um, I love 2 Timothy, and the reason I love it so much is because it is so personal. It is a personal letter written from Paul to this young man, Timothy. And in a very real sense, it's Paul's last will and testament. He, he wrote this several months before he died. Persecution of the church was was ramping up and it was at its height under the emperor Nero and Paul was going to soon be killed and you 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 got to think what was Paul thinking as he was writing what was he feeling as he was writing here he is in this in this cold dark prison and he is he is probably lonely he is probably feeling maybe a little bit abandoned and he is awaiting martyrdom he's isolated but he is writing to Timothy, and it's, it's easy for people to say, well, you know, Timothy, you know, this second Timothy especially, that's just for Paul writing to a young pastor. So if you're going to, you know, apply it out, you know, only can apply it to, like, young pastors. Well, I, I must say that, that um, this must be applied to all believers. All believers. And, and the first verse that I read, chapter 3, verse 1, that's like the first bookend, by the way. And the last verse I read, chapter 4, verse 8, is the other bookend. And they both have to do with living in the last days. It says, difficult times are going to come in the last days. And then, for all who love his appearing, the appearing of Christ. And so, this is for all Christians in all times before Christ's appearing a second time. And, and it's, it's a beautiful gem that the church has and, and I believe a lot of it has to do with mentoring. Now, we're not going to go over every you know, minute detail in this passage. We just can't. I love to look at every word, but I'm going to have to control myself and not do that today because there's too many words. So we're gonna, I'm going to point some things out. And I want you to see with me four statements, really, that Paul is making in regard, in the context of living in the last days and as regard to building into the lives of others. Okay? So first of all, I want you to see the our response to the increase of evil what should it be like in the last days and and secondly our relationship to godly examples we'll see that and then thirdly the role that god's word plays in the process and and finally our ministry in the lives of others so it's how we deal with the increasing of evil how we deal uh, with godly examples in our lives how the word of god fits into the picture and then how do we build into other people's lives that's where we're going to go and i and i just i'm convinced that every christian needs to learn these lessons that needs to grasp these ideas so we're looking a little bit of a flyover but we will zero in on certain words in this passage okay and 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 the reason why this is so important is because god if you're a christian god wants you to live a certifiably transformed life that you would that your life could be certified as having been changed by the lord jesus christ this is very important for us so let's look first at the first statement really about our our response to the increase of evil in the world 
It'll be the first nine verses of chapter 3. And there's a key word that I want you to see in verse 5. And the key word is avoid. Avoid. It's the idea of you need to avoid those who live contrary to God and His Word. You need to turn yourself away from those who are evil. You need to back off from them. This is a very strong verb, by the way. It means to avoid them with horror. That you should be afraid to, to be in, in, in a relationship with them where they are, are going to be leading you. And, and so the idea here, this first part, is avoid God deniers. Avoid those who deny God. Now, that doesn't mean that you should not spend any time around um, unbelievers or people who say they're believers who, who live evil lives. What it means is, don't follow their example. In verse 5, it tells us that they are denying the faith. And it doesn't mean that they just denied it in their head, like, well, I don't think it's true anymore. They are denying it in their actions. That the, thought, the thoughts they have in their head about what they think is not true about God is, is bringing itself out, is breaking out in their life. So Paul's saying, don't follow evil people. There's a lot of bad examples out there. How about in, in the story of Pinocchio? There was, there was that guy that was supposed to be his friend, Lampwick. He figured out that's not a guy to follow. He's going to mess you up. Don't have anything to do with them. The Bible says, bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Now, in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 3, Paul lists in just these four verses 20 things that describe these people. We're not going to go through every one of them. But it's jam-packed. Look at verse 3. He says they're heartless. The heartless. You know what that means? That means they don't have the love that should be there even like with a parent and a child. It's like a parent treating their child really hatefully. So you're supposed to be loving, but you're heartless instead. They're, they're, they're bankrupt for, with love for, for those they should feel and, and show love for. And then in verse 3, they're unappeasable. This is an interesting word. It means they're irreconcilable. They, they have a hostility that refuses to seek a truce. That they are really loving to stay enemies with people. And then verse 4, they're treacherous. Literally, they're, they're traitors. They're betrayers. One who will betray their country, or one who goes back on their word, or one that would leave someone in harm's way. They'll throw you under the bus. And then verse 4, they're reckless. That just means they're hasty to act or speak. They don't think before they speak. Verse 4 also, they're swollen with conceit. I had a friend the other day who had a big swollen elbow. And it looked really bad. And he went to the hospital and they had to put him on medication, an IV medication, because there was this infection and it was all swollen. He knew something was wrong. Well, here you see these people and you know there's something wrong with their life because they're all puffed up with conceit. Literally, it means they're filled with smoke. Filled with smoke. Paul says in verse 5, these people have the appearance of godliness. It looks like they're godly. They've got the form of godliness. It's like, well, it walks like a duck. It must be a duck. No, it's not. It's, it's a pretend duck. And he says, look, these are people who by their deeds deny God. This is like poison berries, you know, on this bush. And you think, these look good. I'm going to eat some and they kill you. They're bad. 
And their folly, he says, will, is, will be evident to all. It's going to be really obvious. Uh, Romans puts it this way, Romans 1.31. They're foolish, they're faithless, they're heartless, they're ruthless. Paul says they're not going to make further progress in, in, in looking godly. They're going to be stopped. People have eyes and ears. People will figure it out. They're going to make progress in ungodliness. You got to watch out for him. He uses an example in verse 8. He talks about Janus and Jambres, and this is the only time in the Bible these two names appear. Who are they? They were magicians who opposed Moses. They were evil men in those days, and he goes, They're like those people. They're like how those two were. You got to be careful. You've got to be wise to avoid being contaminated by them. Don't align yourself with them. See, the, the wrong mentor will lead you astray. The wrong mentor will lead you off a cliff. They'll stumble you. What did Jesus say about those who stumbled his children? That they should go swimming with a big rock around their neck. A big heavy rock. What we need to do is be careful and consider who we're spending time with that we are letting influence us. How, are your, how is your mind and your actions being shaped? Who is shaping the way you view the world and you view your real interaction with other people? Again, don't go outside the world. You should be preaching the gospel to everyone you meet. You don't say, oh, you're not living the right kind of life. No, you preach the gospel. But in this setting about following people, he says, avoid being contaminated by their example. Don't follow their example. Okay, second, second statement. That's the first statement. Avoid God deniers. The second statement is regarding our, our uh, relationship to godly examples. And you see it in verses 10 through 13 where, where Paul says, you, however. So he's talking to Timothy and he's saying, you followed me. And notice how many times the word my is in there. My teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. It's very personal. Timothy had been watching Paul's life. That's what a mentor and mentee does. You're there together, and you're, you're, it would be really hard to just say, I've got a mentoring relationship, and all we do is text. Now, texting can be very helpful in a mentoring relationship, but not if it's the only connection you have with the person. You've got to be face-to-face. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you follow real Christians. <laughs> As simple as that. You follow a real Christian. You find a real Christian and follow them. Godly examples. Now there's the D factor. You know what the D factor is? Deception. See, Paul says, there will be evil men and imposters that will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I used to think of this in in one way. I used to think, and if you think about the way I was thinking about it, you go, that's kind of weird. you know. But here's how I thought about it that as time went on the evil people would get like bigger and bigger and bigger like you know dinosaurs or something so there'd be like by the end of time there'd be this huge big evil people walking around you know and jesus would come with his sword and and smote them and all that right smite them smite them but but here's what d.a carson helped me on this one because he said it's not the point it's not that the evil will ramp up like it's going to get worse and worse and worse the idea is that the evil person's life will get worse 
that each individual evil person will get worse and will deceive people more as the trajectory of their life continues. They're going against God and it will be very obvious and very evident. That's the idea. But we're supposed to follow real Christians and Paul says, you followed me. That means he, he, was, he was like walking behind him very closely like a disciple following a master. He was studying him at close range, like he had a scope on him, and he was just watching him all the time. And he was carefully noting his life with a a view to copy his life, to copy and reproduce what he was seeing. That's the idea. Now, in 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul says to Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that that are in Christ Jesus. That idea of following the pattern. He's saying, follow my example. It's like an artist, you know, sketching a rough draft of the painting they want to paint. Or, sorry for those of you that just got out of school, but like when you put an outline for the paper you want to write, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a rough draft. It's a model. And, and Paul's saying that. Imitate me. That's what you've been doing. You've got to keep doing that. And, and here's what he said to follow. Look at verse 10. My teaching. My teaching. So my doctrine. And then my conduct, how I behaved. See, a close friend knows these things. Those who know you best know how you act. You've got the the most accurate reputation with those you're closest to. And then he says, my purpose, my aim in life. It's the direction of my life, the primary motive of what drives me. My faith, my patience, my steadfastness. I I bore up under, under hardship. My hopeful endurance. And he says in verse 11, my persecutions and my sufferings. They're plural. They're not just one time where he said, oh, look what happened to me. It was a, a life of, of suffering that, that he's saying, you followed this. This is, what you bought, this is what you bought on for. This is what you signed on for. How do you find a good mentor? Paul is, you know, here's what you do. You find someone like Paul. <laughs> you find someone like Paul and you copy them, Right? Here's how you find a good mentor. First of all, you've got to humble yourself to yield to the authority of another. You can't go, hey, I know it all, and no one can teach me anything. Right? You've got to be humble enough to yield yourself to another and, and then seek the wisdom of someone a little bit further down the road than you are or maybe a long way down the road further than you are. But either way, look for someone that you say, wow, I want to I I learn from them. But let me, let me just caution you because I've heard this too many times from too many Christians. Don't be hyper, super picky about who, who you're going to look for in a mentor because if you wait for the one that you think is ideal, if you're like the pickiest person in the world, you're never going to get a mentor. And you're going to say, well, I couldn't find anyone. No one met my high standards of mentoring. It's like you're not getting, no, you're wrong. <laughs> um, and here's the other thing. Look in this church for your mentor. If you don't go to this church, look in your church. The Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that you go to, look for them in that church. I've had too many people say, well, I looked around and I just don't like what I see. I don't like my options. You know, I'm going to go elsewhere. People should only be able to say that one time. And then, you know, they're in big trouble. Because it's just, I don't think it's true. I think that that my premise that, that every local assembly, every local church has exactly what God wants it to have at, at a certain point in time and that when you need something else, he'll provide it. So that means in this church, if you don't have a mentor right now, there is someone. Now maybe you have to go to third hour or first hour. 
Maybe you have to wait around a little while. You have to meet some people. I don't know. But I'm saying, you, you interact with people, you'll find your mentor. You don't interact with people, you'll stay mentorless. That's what we should have a sign when you come in. You know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, and no mentor, no service. I like the way D.A. Carson put it. He says, hold the right mentors in high regard. You know, a good mentor is like your own personal bodyguard. It's like a safety net for your life. There's someone that's going to tell you the truth. You say, well, I got, a, I got a spouse for that, right? Well, good, mentor each other then. But you need other godly people in your life. You've you got to have a safety net in your spiritual life. Someone to remind you what is right and, and point out if you step out of line. I love the way Paul says to the Philippians, to write this again to you is, is no problem for me. It is a safeguard for you. And he launches into, beware of the dogs, beware of the evildoers. Instead, stick close to those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So not just any mentor will do, by the way. You're not going to the store to pick up, you know, baked beans or something. You know, oh, any, just get me anything. You know, we're getting toilet paper. Just get any brand. No, you've got to be, you've got to watch and say, okay, um, I, I need to find the right mentor and hold them in high regard. Okay, let's go to the third statement because you've got to follow godly examples. That's really obvious. The third statement is, is in verses 14 through 17 about the role of God's word in this process. It's very simple and the key word is continue. Continue. It's the same word for abide or remain. He says continue in the things that you have learned and become con- firmly believed. So the idea is continue in God's word. Continue with God in his word. Remain in that. Abide in that. May the constant habit of your life be to always go back to the word of God. Christians should always be asking, what does God's word say, and what is Jesus, and what he did on the cross, what, what, how does that transform this situation that I'm in? You've got to apply God's word generously into your life. Um, I should have applied sunblock yesterday generously, but the book, the Bible, is a sin block, if you think about it. The book teaches you what is right. Now, Paul was pointing out to Timothy that he had known the Bible since childhood. Verse 15, right? From childhood, you've known the sacred writings. They're able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation in Christ. Do you know that in the Hebrew context, uh, parents were to teach their kids the word of God at, at, starting at age five? At, at age five, they were to start a rigorous, systematic teaching through the word of God so that they would know the word of God. Age five. You know, I, I made a commitment last week. I said, I'm not going to hammer the dads on Father's Day. You know, Mother's Day is always comfort the moms. Father's Day is always hammer the dads. I said, I'm not going to hammer the dads. But I am going to teach the word, and I am going to exhort you and encourage you. And I will say, if you're a father, or let's just say if you're the head of a household, you need to teach your household the word of God. You know how many Christians I've talked to that say, I'm just not equipped? I think that's another thing you should only be able to say once. Just go and find a mentor to help equip you. You don't know how to do it? Good, go find a mentor. You're proving my point. A father's input is huge. Youth from fatherless homes. There are many. It's abounding. Not just outside the church either. Listen to these. These 
these words, 63% of youth suicides, fatherless, uh, youth from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 71% of pregnant teenagers, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of all youths sitting in prison, 71% of high school dropouts, and 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers. Now, that doesn't have to mean that a child is doomed to failure if they don't have a dad in the home. If that's the case for them, uh, um, others should come alongside and pick up the slack. And here's what we do know. God provides for his children. Psalm 68, 5. God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God has always been and continues to be at work in the lives of fatherless children. But I'll tell you what really got Paul's heart rate up in a good way when it, in regard to Timothy is him thinking about Timothy's mom and grandma teaching him the word of God. Because you know, Timothy is one that we don't know what was going on with his dad. We know he wasn't a believer. And interestingly, who was name-checked about who, who taught Timothy the word of God? It wasn't his dad. It was his mother and his grandmother. Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first was in them, and I'm persuaded it's in you now too. Here's Timothy, who was a third-generation Christian, owed his sincere faith to the groundwork done by his mom and his grandma, taught him the scriptures from infancy, literally. You know, being a parent in today's society is hard. It's not easy especially when there's no father role model in the home especially like a case like timothy's god gives a special grace for the task that it's evident from the good job that lois and eunice did in bringing up timothy he became a powerful advocate for the gospel now how about god's word this word that changes us the word that does its work in in us who believe verse 16 paul says it is god breathed it is inspired People say all sorts of things about that. The idea is this. The Spirit of God was resting on and in the prophets and spoke through them. They weren't speaking their own words. Their words didn't come from themselves, but from the mouth of God they spoke and wrote in the Holy Spirit. God's Word. And Paul says what what God's Word is useful for. First of all, he says, verse 17, teaching, doctrine, what you believe, and reproof. Most people are like, well, it's okay about the teaching, but what, what, what did you just say? Reproof? You know what that means? Blame. Laying the blame where it belongs. Telling it like it is. Measuring your life up to the word of God and letting it be what it is. So your mentor is to, to be teaching and to, re, to, to use the word of God to even reprove you. And correct it's like, wait, I already got reproved. Well, now I got to get corrected? Is it different? Well, it means to set things up straight again. Set it right. So you get the, the, here's what you did. Here's what you need to do to put it back together. And training in righteousness. This instruction, this discipline. And for a purpose. So that what? You would be complete, capable, sufficient, able to meet all the demands of your calling. And equipped for every good work. That's the idea of back in those days of a rescue ship uh, perfectly outfitted with everything it needs or a wagon with everything or, or documents fully you know, filled out to, to a T. 
Word of God is, is absolutely necessary in a mentoring relationship. All right, let's look at the last statement, and it has to do with our, our ministry and the lives of others. And, and you see it in the first eight verses of chapter 4, and, and, the, and the key word here is fulfill. It's found in, in really in verse um, 5, where Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your ministry literally discharge all the duties that you are are that you have in your calling you know you need to invest in the lives of others so that they grow more like christ do the work of an evangelist and 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 preach the word and all these things look at verse one he charges him he gives him a solemn charge if there was ever a solemn charge in the bible it's it's second timothy 4 1 look what it's based on he goes, I'm charging you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge everyone. And if that's not enough, he's coming back. And if that's not enough, he's setting up his kingdom. So the charge that's going to flow out of this is based on, on Jesus, the judge, and the returning Savior, and who's going to have a kingdom that will go forever. He already has that kingdom, but it's going to be the consummated kingdom. And here's what he told him to do preach the word so proclaim the gospel truth and and be ready literally that means to take your stand it's a military term it's a military word be at hand stay at your post be at your task always on duty in season and out of season when it is convenient when it is not convenient when it is well-timed and not well-timed and he tells him to do the same type things reprove and and rebuke and exhort, encourage, and admonish. And do it not unfeelingly, not impersonally, but with complete patience and instruction. So you've got to be firm and gentle at the same time. You've got to have empathy for the person you're working with. Because you care about them. Because you're their mentor. Because you're committed to their, to their good. Because you're investing in their life. How do you be a good mentor, by the way? First... Pray and ask God to make you a good mentor. Say, God, give me what, I, I don't have what it takes. I, I, I need you to do this. And, and I would say men needs to mentor men and women need to mentor women. And, and you need to be honest with who you're working with about your victories and defeat. They don't think you're perfect. They're going to be watching your life. So you just be honest. And, and uh, let me just say about uh, uh, the men here. Especially dads. You know, a lot of dads feel like failures. Oh, I didn't teach my kids the word of God. Oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I didn't do that. We've, I think we've, um, we've been the recipients of, of kind of, you know, uh, church life down through the ages. And you kind of get what you get. And you kind of go with the Christian subculture you've had. And a lot of men say, you know, I just didn't read the word of God. I, I took my kids to church on Sundays and, and Wednesdays. And they were supposed to do it. Because that was kind of a, a false assumption that had, had gone on for maybe too long in America. But the thing is, is that dads often feel like failures. And then you get to Father's Day and you get a new barbecue or a new iPad or your family gives you a new car or whatever they're going to do, you know, for you. And uh, that's not what we need. We want that maybe, but we don't need that. What, what, every, what every dad needs is Jesus. <laughs> and what every dad needs is the assurance that God, if he's a believer, that God is at work in his life and he will use him for his glory. And what, what dads need from their family is knowing that your family believes 
in, in you. Even if you are necessarily um, uh, not the best example sometimes and you're necessarily frail and, and sin-tainted in your efforts to know that God is at work in you um, to, to bring about spiritual leadership in your household. What else do you need to be to be a good mentor? You've got to be humble, bold. I get people, some people make fun of me because I put these two words together. Humble, bold. It, picture those animals that are like have the head of one thing and the body of another thing, like the creature. Um, you, uh, a Christian needs to have like the head of a lamb and the body of a lion. Uh, humble and bold at the same time. Um, a hybrid creature. Because you can't be afraid to deal in imperatives. You go through Second Timothy and you're like, wow, Timothy is, is really pointed. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But it's all in love. It's all in with gentleness. So trust the Holy Spirit and, and give wide, wise guidance. And a couple other things, and then, then we'll close. The worship team will come up in a, in a minute or, to, or two. But remember what someone did for you, and then do likewise for another. Just this week, uh, Sailor Short has this article in the, in the paper about the Make-A-Wish Foundation when, when she was a little girl and had leukemia and she's, she's helping people do that, helping uh, uh, um, people with cancer and, and other situations as she is back there. She, um, it's, it's, it's a touching thing. And a lot of you probably remember when she was you know four or five years old. I don't remember because I didn't know her back then. Um, but you've got to remember what someone did for you and then say, I've got to do the same thing in someone else's life. But if someone didn't do that for you, let's say you go, well, I haven't had no one come alongside me. You still should do it because you can just give what you didn't get. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, um, it's kind of like a tree. If the tree, if the tree can't... Uh, expand it will die i've got a tree in my backyard that's a big chain around it and it's been there for years and years and years and uh someone told me recently you gotta gotta cut that chain or else it will kill the tree and it's the same with with people um we're either going to be manipulating them or ministering to them or mentoring them you've got to resist the temptation to control someone when you're trying to mentor them like control their every movement and be and be kind of crazy with that or over condone everything and just not say anything about anything so you gotta have this this delicate balance of speaking into their life. Now, you might be sitting here today and you say, well, I'm feeling kind of empty myself. I don't think I have anything to give. I need someone to pour into me. I get that. I understand that. But let me just say this. If it gets down to it and you're like, I, um, I can only do one thing. I'm a busy person. I'm the busiest person in the whole world. And I can only do one of these things that you're telling me to do, Mike. So whether what, I got to choose only one. So you only get one here. Um, I'm, I'm either going to be a mentor or have a mentor, okay? Uh, let me tell you which one you should choose then if you're going to do that to me. Uh, I would just say, be a mentor. Forget about yourself and think about someone else. That's biblical, okay? Give rather than receive. So if you can only do one, be a mentor. Go find someone to pour your life into and sacrificially serve Jesus in the process. And I'm telling you, God will, will honor your, your dependent God-dependent efforts to do that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that it's your design for your church for people to become more like Christ, that they would spend time with each other and, and mentor and be mentored. Lord, thank you that your word is clear and that 
um, we know the world is dying to see and the church is desperate to experience what you will do when your people help each other focus on Jesus in our lives. Lord, every one of us needs to find and be uh, a mentor. Uh, we are all being watched. We are all um, people of interest to you. And Lord, we pray that you would use us in the lives of others for your glory. Let me pray in Christ's name. Amen.